Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. In the summer of 2007, the psychologist and psychoanalyst Hannah Hahn was reading a book about immigrant Jewish women. She was struck by a realization. She had four immigrant Jewish grandparents, but she knew little about their experiences with immigration. She couldn't interview people of her grandparents' generation because they were dying away. So she interviewed their children, in all 22 adult children of Eastern European Jewish immigrants whose parents arrived in America before 1930. She expected to hear rich stories of life in Eastern Europe. Instead, the children of immigrants said that when their parents came to America, they left it all behind. Hahn concluded that the silence of immigrant parents was part of a larger story of European suffering, trauma, and the transmission of memories from immigrant parents to American children. She explores all of these and they left it all behind, trauma, loss, and memory among Eastern European Jewish immigrants and their children. They left it all behind shows how the past weighed on the lives of Jewish immigrants and their children. It also helps us understand the problems that immigrants face today when they journey from violent parts of the world to the United States of America. I'm Rob Snyder, Manhattan Borough historian and professor emeritus of American Studies and Journalism at Rutgers University. I'm talking with Hannah Hahn, author of They Left It All Behind, Trauma, Loss, and Memory Among Eastern European Jewish Immigrants and Their Children, published by Roman and Littlefield. We're here thanks to the New Books Network. Welcome, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. What sparked you to write this book? Well, as you correctly mentioned, in the summer of 2007, I was reading a book called World of Our Mothers, which I had picked up at my favorite secondhand bookstore in Rockville, Maryland. Um, And uh, this was a book of um, interviews done by a historian of Eastern European Jewish immigrant women. Um, And when I was reading it, I just all of a sudden had this thought, wow, I want to interview these women. Um, And just like it just hit me like that. And I thought, well, I'm going to do something like that. Of course, um, most of the immigrants were dead by then. So I decided that I was going to um, interview their children. And when I thought about wanting to do it, I realized that as a a grandchild of four Eastern European Jewish immigrants, and as a psychologist and psychoanalyst, I didn't understand anything about their subjective lives as immigrants. So I set out to uh, learn more about that. And there the book was born. So as a researcher, what was your method? How did you identify the people that you would talk with? So um, what I did was... Um, I went to the synagogues. I went to a Jewish senior services center on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Um, I used uh, YIVO's online newsletter. Um, YIVO is um, Jewish um, Research Institute uh, in Manhattan. Um, I used a psychoanalytic institute's listserv, and I talked to acquaintances. And the reason that I had to um, go to such lengths to find 22 people to talk to and by the way, this took a number of years, was um, because 
most of the immigrants' children that I spoke to really didn't know much about what about their own parents' stories. And it, in order to learn something about um, the subjective lives of immigrants, um, the immigrant parents had to have talked to their children. So what I was learning was how much silence there was around their immigrant experiences. So tell us about some of the people you interviewed. What made them memorable for you? Well, they were obviously all uh, memorable in their own ways. <laughs> um, who said that? Uh, Tolstoy, right? Families are all different in their own ways. Well, A, they're very bright people, all of them. Um, but they each had their own stories. So I'm just going to skim the surface for a minute. So um, when I was uh, just beginning, um, I was very surprised to hear one of my earlier interviewees um, say about her father. He wanted to leave it all behind. He didn't want any part of it. Um, coming to America was a new beginning. In fact, both her parents agreed that they would never set foot in Europe again. They had had it. Um, another uh, interviewee, um, who, by the way, was a highly educated professional, said that both his parents had left a world in which the risk of death was ever present. Mm. His father always limped after being hit by a Gentile nobleman. His mother when he asked her whether she wanted to go back and visit her hometown because he by then could have taken her, she said, no, I ran away and I have only bad memories of it. Um, so um, would you like me to tell you stories of single interviewees? Yeah, why don't you tell us about one of the people in their story that helps us understand how okay. you began to learn from the people you interviewed. Um. So I'm going to tell you the story of someone that I named Aaron. Um, I, obviously, everything is confidential, so I changed their names and I changed a few details about their lives. So Aaron was a man in his 80s who um, had become a doctor. And the most important fact about his immigrant mother was that she had discovered her own father dead from a pogrom in the basement of their house in their um, Eastern European large town. Um, she was 16 years old. She um, found her father's own body. Erin um, did not know how he knew this fact because people didn't talk about it. He just knew that he knew. Um, and... His father, very interestingly, uh, had his own fascinating background. His father um, came from a very poor background and became um, a, became um, a high-ranking officer in the communist army after the revolution. Um, his parents met when um, their city was in chaos in World War I, and the mother, who was middle class, needed protection for her family. And so she married this guy who she felt was very much beneath her uh, because he was now in a high-ranking position and he could protect them. Um, in any case, um, I'm not going to explain why they had to leave Eastern Europe suddenly, but they came to America. 
um, in America, um, there was the depression and they really, really struggled. Um, and they fought all the time. And I believe the fighting was um, a product of their trauma together. So the father um, felt that his life was never the same after he had this high point of being this Russian officer. And he always, he actually wanted that old life of being on top of things. Um, The mother never looked back. But they fought all the time, partly because money was so tight and partly because both of them had had such a difficult time. Um, And my patient's life was actually very bleak as a child. His mother was so preoccupied um, by what had happened to her, by this terrible tragedy, um, and also by having to make a living, um, that um, the mother was simply not present So his first memory was of getting lost on a trip to the beach with her. She just wasn't paying attention to him. He was less than five, and he was scared to death, in his words. And he felt that it screwed with his mind for the rest of his life. And there were other things like um, his mother wasn't watching him cross the street, and he um, was hit by a motorcycle. Um, Life was very bleak in other ways. He was very lonely. He had an older brother who didn't pay attention to him. His father was always at work. Um, But um, his parents wanted both of their sons to be the best, the first. Um, And despite the bleakness of life, um, my patient and his brother got into medical school, worked and worked and worked, became quite successful. Um, And um, I think my patient must have gotten some help because he seemed to have resolved some of the difficulties that came from this background. Um, and he was both angry at his parents and also admired them and um, was very grateful to them for what they had done. Now, as a psychologist and psychoanalyst, how did you interpret this? And then how did you put this in the context of Jewish immigrant history? Um, it's not atypical in terms of Jewish immigrant history. So um, what people don't realize, which is it's not, it's not really known by the public, and historians have only been beginning to discuss it, is that um, World War II, World War I, sorry, affected the Jews very, very badly. So this particular interviewee said to me that what happened in World War I with his parents was just the beginning of what led to the Holocaust. And that turns out to be correct. When he said it to me, I thought, wow, really? Never heard such a thing. And as I did my research, I found out that that was true. So um, the Jews were um, in the line of fire uh, in World War I. Furthermore, the um, Russians suspected the Jews of being in bed with the Germans um, and so they uh, treated the Jews horribly. In fact, my mother's mother was in the middle of that. Um, and um, then afterward, so there were these troops that would go through and um, um, they would um, do what troops did and uh, um, take supplies, they would take the people's food, 
but they would also, um, Jews were um, evicted from their cities. Um, um, many were evicted from their cities. Um, so they would be war refugees. And a couple of people that I interviewed, there, that happened to their parents. Um, and um, then after World War I, there was a lot of unrest. Um, there was continued fighting in the aftermath of World War I. For quite a number of years, there were there was local fighting, and Jews would be in the middle. And the pogroms that happened before World War One were actually nothing compared with what happened after World War One. Also, the Jews were impoverished, um, many of them by World War One. Or the the Eastern European Jewish world was forever changed by World War One. My father's mother, um, um, who lived in um, Austria-Hungary in a small city, her father had made his way through a lot of work to the middle class, but World War I impoverished them, and her father said to my grandmother, um, I can't feed you. You and your sister have to go to Vienna and get jobs. And my grandmother actually was very happy in Vienna. It was a wonderful place, and then she came here. Um, so... Um, my um, interviewee being his parents having been very effect, affected by World War I was absolutely um, characteristic of the people that I interviewed. And interestingly, um, for those who were affected, there were some who came before World War I. They seemed to be less traumatized to me on average. Um, mm-hmm. And the people who came after World War I seemed to on average have a tougher time. Um, the so how did these immigrant experiences affect their children in the USA? How did the, the memories transmitted or not transmitted shape their children in the U.S.? Well, in I think um, that's kind of a broad question. So let me think of, about a couple of specific people. So we have Aaron, who, when I interviewed him, he just was kind of a bleak person. He was obviously very successful in his life. And he had a lovely family, but he suffered from depression somewhat. And he was not the most pleasant person I'd ever met. Um, But I do think he had had help. Um, So I'm thinking about somebody else who in the book I named Seymour, who um, had had many troubles as an adult, but also many successes. He, every week... In synagogue, um, he would close his eyes to say the Shema, and he would have a variation on the the following um, fantasy, which he called a vision, which is that um, he would be a child, um, and he would see an older woman who was naked come up to him and ask for his assistance. He would grab her arm and they would step forward, and there would be like a a trench, and together the grandmother would be shot, and then he assumed that he would be shot. And this had to do with um, not just his own mother's experience during World War I, but in fact, his father's family was killed in World War II. So that's a little bit of a variation. Um, And um, there was another person who I will call Ruth, um, who... She um, was also 
kind of very bleak. And she, interestingly, when I spoke to her on the phone, she was very animated and warm. When I got to her home to interview her, she was very, um, very cut off, absolutely cut off and withdrawn. And so when I asked her to tell me all about her um, parents and her mother and their immigration experiences, all of a sudden she got very animated and she told me this, she showed me what her mother's family would do to protect her little sister during a pogrom. And she got up and she said, well, pretend this dining room is their house. And these two doors here are the doors that go would go down to my mother's basement. And they would hide her little sister behind there. And that was when she got animated during the interview. And it felt like what she was showing me was that her mother's history was alive in her. And I think that this was a not worked through repetition of trauma. And um, I think that um, these kinds of things were in fact passed on to her own children in, in our generation. So I think overall people did very well. They all had great careers. Um, but um, um, I th- there were, I would say of the 13 people, of the 22 people that I interviewed, 13 people had significant effects of this kind of trauma. So, um, and I don't think that Jews have any uh, handle on trauma. Certainly all immigrants have some kind of trauma that makes them leave. So I don't want to say that we have the corner on it. I'm fascinated by how people could experience such trauma, how children could grow up in the shadow of their parents' traumas and yet go on to be successful. What explains that ability to succeed despite the terrible burdens of that past? Um, so a number of things. One thing is, um, I'm going to quote something for you because I love this. Um, this is from Alfred Kazin. Um, um, it was not for myself alone that I was expected to shine, but for my parents to redeem the constant anxiety of their existence. So um, there's a dynamic that I think occurs with many, many immigrant groups where the parents sacrifice for their children and the children feel that sacrifice and they feel the debt to their parents and they really want to do well. So um, um, the immigrants' children really worked hard in school um, there was a, a quote in a different book about somebody saying, well, I thought if I got anything below a 90 in school that I would be punished by God. I mean, he was kidding, but um, <laughs> yeah, I felt that way too, right? But, um, but um, so that's part of it. Um, another part is there was the Jewish emphasis on education and the fact that being steeped in Torah or in, in this kind of discourse means that you know you you know how to think about things and um, and the the literary the tradition of reading is there in your family, so that's another part of it. But and and also these were New Yorkers, most of them, and um, and in New York, of course, you had free college, you had free college, but also when they came of age, um, most of them in the uh, 
40s, 50s, early 60s, that's when the United States was in this huge post-war boom. Um, and um, um, you have people um, um, saying things like, um, this was the first time that Jews could do anything that other Americans could do. So they were very lucky, actually. So I'm sure there were other factors, but that's part of it. One of the things that's striking about your book is the way it it, it implicitly challenges romantic visions of the old world and the shtetl. Oh, God. Could you say more about that? Yes, of course. Um, so when I started the book, I absolutely thought that when I asked people about their parents' subjective feelings about um, immigration, they were going to say, oh, they miss, they miss the old country. They miss this person. Oh, I miss the stream in front of my house. I miss the, the little village. I miss the little shul. Because what we're taught is that the shtetl was a world of communal orientation. Everybody looked out for everybody. It's not the case. That's our, our post-Holocaust romantic, romanticization. Um, and of course I was fed that too. Um, and what's the, you know, when we see Fiddler on the Roof and it begins tradition, right? That's right, what we're right, going right. to find. But in fact, it was, um, besides for the poverty, and not everybody was poor, but there was poverty, people weren't so nice to one another. Um, it's true. Um, it was it was not an easy world in so many ways. But I think it, it's that romanticization. You know, historians once discussed immigrants uh, as if they were the uprooted. And then mm-hmm. another immigration historian came along years later and said, no, they're not the uprooted, they're the transplanted. Uh-huh. Uh, how do the people you interviewed fit into this framework? How do they complicate that idea of look both? The uprooted or the transplanted? Yeah. Okay, so there's always the push-pull factor, right? So they're um, they're uh, pulled to a better world by the poverty. And by the way, um, a lot of research says that more of them left because of poverty than pogroms. But I think that probably has a little bit more to do with people who left before World War One, which was most of them. Um, so and they're they were pushed by the pogroms, um, but they wanted to become Americans. These people were eager to become Americans. Um, the children, the parents, everybody. Um, my um, father's parents didn't have him speaking Yiddish because they wanted him to be American. I don't know any Yiddish because of that. So I, I think it's interesting. How did this book, doing this book, doing all this research, influence your sense of your own life and your own family's history? It just really changed it, I think. Um so um, as I interviewed these 22 people, I also got in touch with lots of people in my own family um, and found out about my own background, things that I didn't know. Um, so I was in touch with people in my extended family. I was in touch with people in my immediate family. Um, my, I talked to my mother's sister in her later years. My mother had died. I talked to my father, and I talked to one of my father's cousins. But um, so I learned where I fit in. Um, And I would say that um, my memory and Jewish history became one and the same, but I 
So I was able to look at what influenced me in my um, psychological growth and, you know, what I I didn't know. Um, I I knew a tiny bit about my grandmother's trauma, my my mother's mother, um, but really I in no way knew the whole picture. Um, My father's mother, I could have pieced it together if I didn't want, if I had wanted to, but nobody, nobody thought of it. Nobody, nobody put it together. So it was really the most wonderful growing experience for me. And I feel so much more connected to who I am. And I think it's just really important for us to think about it too, as a country, because I think that we all want to deny the pain of our immigrant families, our immigrant backgrounds. And I think if we were able to look at it more and acknowledge that this is us, maybe we would have a better feeling about admitting more immigrants into our country. Why do you think Americans want to deny the pain of immigration? Because it's painful. Because, you know, we're not an introspective people. And, um, you know, we're a can-do people. Pick yourself up by the, by your bootstraps. If you're picking yourself up by your bootstraps, you are not thinking about the painful past. It's going to impede you in getting ahead. Does that make sense? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, does the USA as a whole look different to you now from having done the book? Well, I'm more aware of of the of what's going on with immigrants. Um, and the USA as a whole looks different to us all. Um, on um, February fifth, twenty twenty one, that it did four or five years ago. But I certainly am, you know, um, certainly more aware. And I think it's very important to use what I've learned to um, work towards a better treatment of immigrants and awareness um, of what immigrants and their families psychologically experience. And interestingly, when I was finishing the book, I looked at my psychotherapy practice, and lo and behold, it was about 40% immigrants or children of immigrants. Just because there are a lot, there are a lot of people. If we're going to be more sensitive to the traumas of immigrants who come here in our own time, you know, what should we be doing? What should psychologists be doing? What should educators be doing? What should our government be doing? Well, the obvious thing is we can't have children in cages, right? But you don't need for me to say that. Um, I think that we need to. Be ed- I think we need to educate everybody about a number of things. Um, people need to know more about what it is to be an immigrant, uh, to come here and to have everything be different, to be totally unmoored, um, and to try to make a go of it despite that. That's one thing. Um, another thing is um, that... Um, we need to be psychologically aware of, so that's like, I think an education that we all need to have. Like if we're, you know, in the street and, or if we're, you know, we have somebody um, helping us with our, our housework and they're an immigrant, you know, they've probably been through hell in some way or another. And just to like see them more as a 3D person. But I also think that um, there need, there needs to be, psychological help available. And one thing that people need is to be able to tell their stories. And I think that we would be so much helped if um, people who are immigrants had a way to tell their stories, to put their stories together. 
Um, and I think um, to make psychological help available to immigrants and to their children. Um, and then we have the issue of um, the only way to get here right now to come to the United States is um, really um, through, and I hope this will change, is through um, being um, a refugee or um, applying for asylum. That is a very, very difficult process. That need, We need so much more help in um, helping people to complete their applications. But also, so one of the biggest um, immigrant groups is from the Northern Triangle, um, from Honduras, um, El Salvador, and Guatemala. And they've been through unbelievable trauma. And those people really need um, an enormous amounts of psychological help because um, I think it's 10 times worse than what the Eastern European Jews went, went through. Now that you've written the book, any projects that you're going to be doing next, either research or writing or work with immigrants? Um, so um, I will certainly be talking about my work um, and I'm going to be teaching a class about um, trauma, um, trying to explain um, trauma in this context of Eastern European Jewish immigrants. What I want to do in terms of writing is, this is something that I've always wanted to do, is work on the issue of um, loss of sense of community. And it's not directly related, but I think it's related. Um, and um, I'm going to be giving a talk on healing a divided America in the spring. And all these ideas kind of come together. But um, um, I would like to do much more speaking about um, immigration using my book as background, but um, also um, extending it to current immigrants. Well, we'll look forward to all of that in the future then. Thanks very much for being with us today for the New Books Network. And thank you. I really enjoyed it.